what's your relationship to storytelling and as you've grown as storytellers, how has culture shaped your narrative eye? Like, it's always good to, like, a hard sense memory a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Whether that's, like, a big idea, like, oh, I was kind of depressed at this point, or I was really in love. And I just love, like, learning things. Like, I like knowing things more than I like learning things, and stories are a good way to kind of have my cake needed too, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So even when I'm reading something like One Piece, which is a dumb comic for children, there's a really good message about friendship and kind of sticking by your people in there. Mm-hmm. And that, like... That, see, that feels true to me, that rings true, and that's kind of why I get hooked on the stories. Hmm. Hmm. You know, it might, it might be slightly off topic, but I was just thinking about, um, got in a conversation earlier with someone about the, the way that you sell stories to, to readers, and, and the way that you kind of explain them to people, as opposed to the way that you think of the story yourself, and almost it being a lie, how you're told you're telling it to someone. I'm wondering if, if any of the people's work up here, if, if they feel like um, they think of their own personal work as very different from the way that uh, it has to be, like, the commerce of telling stories becomes a kind of terrifying thing when it's, like, personal expression mixed with having to pay your rent. Mm. Do you guys feel it at all? You mean that the story would become different because... Or just, like... Like, accessibility? I'm just thinking almost, like, the idea of, like, I don't know, maybe I just... My work is often, uh, if I tried to explain it, I I had a friend who at one point told me, like, the way that you talk to your friends about your stories, don't do that to people because it sounds horrible. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, uh, and almost... I mean, someone, you, you jump around in so many genres that I imagine you can almost say, this is my version. It's like passing this through the Sloan filter almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that becomes really interesting. Yeah. Um, are you talking about kind of like your audience influencing how you tell stories or like what your story is? Yeah. Or, or I mean, in comic books, there's a very limited audience in some ways. And, um, and that very much affects how things are sold and, and the pressure to kind of make things that are sellable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think audience like that... I feel like the internet has bred like a really like uh, participatory uh, audience where they want to be constantly talking to you and messaging you, right. and like you have comment uh, comments activated like on your web comment, for instance. Do you think that uh, I feel like that influences some artists maybe? Do you guys think that at all? And do you think that's a positive, a negative in how you tell a story? Like, like Meredith, did you start? Did you start doing comics on the internet before you did print? Yeah, it was it was web comics for years and years. Do you felt like that? Um, do you feel like that affected? Um, um, like, because you grew up on print comics, wasn't it? Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I think in the first few years, I was definitely trying to be accessible. Um, I think for a lot of people, web comics are like their way of making. Uh, making comics until they get picked up by somebody and uh, at least at that point it wasn't necessarily uh, I'm going to do my own thing on here and tell my own kind of story, it was I'm going to make something that ultimately could be uh, you know, published and You're distributed. It's so much more fun in the other panel. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you guys are really missing out. You can, you can have fun too, right? Yeah. Yeah. to be worried about that accessibility because I didn't necessarily know what I was doing. And, uh, you know, telling a story and getting that feedback from people where they, uh, they related to it and they understood it was valuable to me at a place in time. Um, I think now I'm a little bit more stubborn about it and I'm a little bit more uh, willing to ignore when uh, people don't necessarily know where I'm going with something because um, I just want to be like, you know I've led you to a place you liked before, so just trust me on this one. Um, I really like that, the, the, the relationship of the audience where you feel like you've gained trust and, and you're just like, guys, I won't fuck you over. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, and then that's terrifying where you're just like, I want to try something risky on this and I hope it doesn't feel like a betrayal. 
Actually, well, I kind of want to throw that back on you because you do a lot of work in a bunch of different kind of modes and genres. Mm-hmm. Like, how, what are Sloan comics to you? Um, I feel like a lot of the times they're just like uh, thought experiments, or it's sprung up off of like an event or feeling. Um, I don't put a lot of uh, emphasis on the structure per se, um, and I don't. Uh, I don't find it important to. I don't find resolutions as important as like Western audiences do, and um, I'm pretty open to. M- to most things, but uh, I usually stray to just stories that are not, I just don't want to satisfy people. Like I have no desire to like, make people happy. I just want to like, give them an experience and maybe that's enough. But you I don't want to be Jewish like, mother are gonna tell you that's why you're single. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> true. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I feel like I've grown up with a lot of different types of stories. Like growing up in Hawaii, there's a lot of Hawaiian mythology um, and while there's like classic, you know, like heroic characters, there's also just stories that are like um, these two lovers were cursed to live on separate mountains and, now, and they became the mountains. Um, and that's it. There's no like, no one grew from anything. There's no like, you know, there's no twist. They just get to suffer forever on the mountains. And I was like, that's, really, that's a bummer, but that's also kind of interesting. Like, they go like wrap up. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Just playing uh, in my head, and yeah. What kind of work did you grow up on, Song? Because you're stuck. I mean, because you're, you're something that really drew me to your work was that um, you're very passionate. You have very strong opinions, and it never reads to me like. Uh, it, hopefully, it doesn't sound bad, but you you're never. When I read your work, it's like. Song really is not trying to impress anyone. This is just yeah. <laughs> like, like it's, it's <laughs> yeah. It's good. I like it. Oh, thank you. Um, I grew up on uh, mostly books. I was, I'm not part of my family is not like artistic. They're more musical, um, so I didn't really have any exposure, and no one really encouraged me to draw or anything. I just ended up doing it because I needed something to entertain me as I moved around um, as a child. So I just would be like the new kid at school and one way to like make friends really quickly was like to draw like a cool dragon <laughs> or something or <laughs> and like that was my instant in so uh yeah um and then the big thing was like in third grade uh we get a vocabulary list and the assignment for the week is you'd copy three times each word so it'd be like 10 words or whatever and i was like this is really boring and i asked my teacher i'm like instead of uh just copying these words can i make a story with these words and so I would write stories every week for the entire grade. <laughs> and I have stacks and stacks of stories, so, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty impressive, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I was drawing into journals in third grade. I couldn't do anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. What's your favorite ninja turtle? Raphael. Oh, <laughs> um, do you guys want to talk about your personal work, like your specific projects and story a little bit? Maybe how you're stretching things or not stretching things. What are you working things? on, Jen? Yeah, uh, well, I'm like scanning the room and I don't see Gina from marketing here, so I can be a little more real. But um, <laughs> I guess, um, yeah, I guess uh, professionally I do um, work for sort of, um, I guess, young young adult literature, um, kind of like kid lit. Uh, so stuff for like teenagers and uh, I guess, yeah, just like general all ages and readers. Um, and I, I didn't really like imagine myself sort of ending, ending up here. I, I mean, you know, maybe sort of in the, I was like, oh, in the distant future, like, yeah, I'll do like, you know, books for, for all ages or like picture books or something, but I didn't expect to get there so soon. But it's sort of where uh, the market is professionally for, for um, comics. So that's sort of, if you, uh, it, you know, sort of one of the ways you can make, so money in comics is to use stuff for, for kids because that's people who buy stuff for kids. Um, so it was a little bit like I kind of ended up there, um, just like sort of in the projects I ended up choosing. And it's a little odd because I, yeah, I think my natural instinct is to want to write for um, adult women <laughs> like myself. Uh, and then I've had to, um, the current project I'm working on is a, is a book that started out as um, a book aimed 
towards young women, uh, or you know, adult women, and uh, ended up sort of having to age down the characters in order to sort of like, you know, for my agent to like take it out anywhere. So it was a little, it was a little difficult at first because like I, you know, I sort of have an idea of what I want the book to be, and it ended up being pretty much the same book when I aged the characters down. It, it had a different meaning because it was more about you know, doing things for the first time and uh, sort of discovering things instead of, uh, you know, when you're adult, it's more like you're, you're sort of like living in your own truth at that point. Yeah. Um, so so it, it changed a little bit of the theme, but, uh, but essentially it was the same book. So um, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's tricky because um, I think uh, I do, there is something I really value about writing for, for young people at this point, which I, I didn't really think about before, but now I, I've sort of, um, you know, I can put myself in, you know, like I can imagine myself as a young person and what I wanted to read and uh, the things that maybe I didn't have access to at the time because there weren't comics or there weren't stories about, you know, about X, about, you know, about uh, like girls or even, you know, I don't know, like girls who weren't, you know, like a, like of a specific look or, or something like that. And so now I think. I think a little more about like the kind of books that I would have wanted to to write uh, or to, to read when I was when I was like thirteen or twelve. Mm -hmm. um, but then I, I still I still sort of want to I guess write for you know my own peers, and so I've I've sort of like started to to think more uh, outside of comics even like to to just satisfy that. Like I've sort of tinkered with wanting to write like twine games and stuff because like nobody cares about that like I could just write whatever I want yeah so um so yeah so in comics it's a little complicated because I'm, I'm sort of transitioning into a into a, a new field I think for, for me so um, is, is your worry in doing things for for your people your own age that there's you're not in the market for um that there just isn't really I mean that I could do it but it's not like I would be um you know I couldn't do it for a living um, which is like totally fine if that's like the thing that I want to be doing for myself anyway. Um, there's just not a lot of time if I'm also doing that, if I'm doing comics for money, I think. That's it's like how to, how to divide my time between the things that would satisfy me personally and, and um, yeah, and the, like things that, uh, that I can do professionally. And I think at this point, like, I, I am at a place where I, I do really enjoy what I'm doing professionally um, because I'm able to put myself you know where I, where I would have wanted, um, you know, an author to be when, when I was like younger. So, so I am, I am like enjoying that part. But there's also, you know, the part of me that would like to try to do more experimental stuff or things that are about adults. And that's if, a little if you're doing work for for children, now, do, you, mm -hmm. do you expect your audience to kind of grow with you in ten years? Oh, people that, are that would be cool. I mean, I would like that. I, I mean, I haven't. Been around long enough, I think, in that in that field. But um, but that's definitely something that, like, uh, I've I've uh, you know gone to events where the kids are really young. You know, it's like eight year olds, and it's like, well, I'm not really sure, uh, you know, what uh, what else uh, I have that's like for that age group yet. But you know, as they get older, there is already like comics that I've had online or, or you know, uh, in that I've done sort of for for people for my age at the time that they will hopefully be able to grow into. So, yeah, I mean, I, I haven't thought about that part too much, but I imagine that part will probably come about naturally. Hmm. So. I wonder if there's, is there, if there's more freedom and expectation when you deal with the younger audience too? Like, there is, actually. I actually, um, not, like, so far in, within the content, like, I, I don't actually tend to think too much, like, too hard about what, what my audience is thinking. Are expecting, but in terms of like, uh, just even like going to events where I'm talking to to younger audiences, like they are so excited about like anything, mm -hmm. and they're very open, and they even have um, sort of like alternate uh, interpretations of of like of stories that I just like didn't even think about that I think is like really cool, you know, because they're not they're like their comprehension of the content might not be quite where you know, where we're at as, as adults, so they're filling in the blanks with their own interpretations. Mm. And it's actually like, you know, it's not, even if it's not what I was thinking, I'm like, well, that's, that's fine. Like, um, like I did a book 
uh, in real life. Um, that was like a, it was like kind of adapted from a Cory Doctorow story. And so there's, there's like essentially a girl who uh, has like a, a video game alter ego. And so on the cover, there's like two women, you know, and I was, I was like uh, talking to a young girl who was about like eight or nine and she was wearing a Frozen t-shirt and like it occurred to me later that what she was drawn to was that there were two women on the cover and that she assumed they were kind of like, it was that like kind of alter ego, I don't know, like, you know, that sort of Frozen dynamic because then she was saying like, oh yeah, I like that the story is about like, like a, like a good girl and a rebel, which is not what the book is about, but I, I found that really charming that she interpreted it that way, you know, and that, yeah. like, I don't think that's, like, that's totally valid. Yeah, totally. I know, story yeah. structure in comics is interesting, too, because you can layer so much, mm -hmm. and, like, kind of, like, uh, divert readers' attentions to different things, and hinted mm -hmm. things that isn't possible in other mediums. Um, yeah. Uh, Meredith, do you want to talk a little bit about, like, Octopus Pie and the story structure in that? Oh, well, I just wanted to say, while it's still in my head, like this, this idea that, that people see things on different levels like that, I love that. And, and that's kind of um, one of the reasons why I love that uh, when you do books like that, you don't necessarily uh, interact directly with the audience. Because um, it does seem like the internet, uh, it gives people this desire to know what the content means right away. And uh, allowing them to make those assumptions about it, I think, is is valuable and then letting them come back to it later and see it in a different way over the course of years uh, is really valuable. Um, I do comics for women and uh, it's true, they're very, very hard to market and uh, very hard to sell. And um, it's kind of the same deal where uh, when I started writing it, I was 21, uh, 22, and now I'm 31. And uh, to keep it interesting to me, I've really tried to take it with me through different stages of my life. And that means that some people do age with me and uh, see things the way I see them. And then other people uh, sometimes feel left behind or they're not quite sure what I'm talking about. Uh, or they have a completely different idea of what I'm talking about. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a challenging thing to market to people, the idea like that this can mean many things to different people. This is not always, like the message is not always absolutely clear, but it's also, um, I think it, it's a valuable way to relate stories where, um, to, you know, to me, the heart of all of it is like being able to empathize with a feeling and a state of being and a period in your life. Um, and now that I've written all these stories about going from being a young woman to a, a slightly older woman, uh, I, I actually am kind of interested in writing stories for kids because I feel like empathizing with kids on that level is, um, you know, that's a really elegant uh, work of art to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, would, I, I really see it that way as like being able to form that connection with yourself and then by extension being able to see that in other people is, uh, you know, it's not always like, it's not always just making a point and having that point read, literally, mm -hmm. there's, there's so much more to that. Like, it's, it's way more complex than that. So when, when, you, do, um, when you do stories where, where the readers are left with questions, is that a, is that a purposeful thing that you're doing? Um, I really want to be able to connect with them. I want them to be able to get something from it. Um, and it does frustrate me when they don't seem to get anything uh, from it. But I don't, I don't know how often that happens, that they get nothing. I really try to build the stories so that there's some sort of payoff, whether it's that they think it's funny or dramatic or something. Um, sorry, I'm losing the question you asked. No, I was just thinking, I, I often think about the idea of, of, of stories being uh, either active or passive to the reader. And obviously, like nothing is, is for everyone, and uh, there's kind of a currency of if you have kind of a shared experience, or, or even something like Miyazaki movies that gets so universal because he's he's doing these kind of emotional shared experiences that, that so many people can relate to. But uh, but um, when, I, when I think of like a passive story, it's something that all the questions are answered, and it's like a closed circle. Mm -hmm. I watched the movie uh, Looper. I really like. I like the movie Brick a huge amount. It's one of my favorites. And so the same director did did Looper, and it's like a time travel guy 
turns into Bruce Willis and has to kill himself movie. And it's, it's a really good movie, but uh, I thought about Brick for years after I saw it, and when I saw Looper, it's such a tight story that I just don't think about it anymore. And I don't want to make work. Mm. I, I try to make work that, it's not intentionally vague, but I want to at least leave questions for myself, so it leaves questions for the audience in a way where it at least sticks in their head. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if it's a dis- if you think it's a disconnection between where the audience is, is at or if or, or your own. Um, I mean, I think the audience has expectations. Like they definitely are used to stories like that. Um, it seems I feel like that's it's very common in comics to have stories like that. Um, but uh, you know, people come back to me and say, I experienced this thing in my real life, and it reminded me of that thing you did in your story. And that's really what I'm looking for. Is like that's that's to me the ultimate connection that I gave them like this little puzzle piece and like later on they were able to fit it into the context of their own life. I like that. Mm-hmm. As a reader, I think that's crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been reading Vagabond by Jelly uh, and it's about, you know, me and Masashi learning how to be a, uh, the best MI ever apparently. But it's also like a self-help comic. Because like while he's growing up and learning that, oh, maybe you can't solve every problem with the sword, maybe you have to build a farm. Like, <laughs> Every time I read a new volume of it, it's like relevant to something new in my life in a way that I really appreciate. I think mm-hmm. it's because it needs those spaces where you don't say like explicitly like, oh, maybe I should stop killing people. Instead, it's more like <laughs> maybe there's another way around this problem. Maybe I can walk around this village full of people who want to kill me instead of walking through the middle of it. Even though I know that I can win, maybe that's not working at all. So I always appreciate stuff like that. I feel like as a reader, it's crucial. Like those are like Brandon was saying, those are the stories you Right, because it's I feel yeah like like ambiguity is is what happens in our lives. So you know like the more we experience life, <laughs> like the, the more we realize that yeah everything is you know is like a, everything is great. Everything has all these like ambiguities. So the things that that like end up reaching a lot of people are, are ideas or stories or situations that are aren't crystal clear. Because like when we're younger, we we want to be told what's going to happen. You know, so we're like looking for those like answers. We're like, okay, like that's that's how I should, you know, how I should feel in this situation. But the more you get there, you realize like, well, everybody feels like they don't really know what they're doing. So, and, and then it feels real, and then it feels really personal. Yeah, I like the idea of like a messy story because like I feel like in a lot of like indigenous storytelling, um, it has a lot to do with like like I was saying earlier that Hawaiian mythology. Um, there's like a really interesting, you know, mystical story, but a lot of it has to do with about relaying spatial information, so you know where you are. Um, and my grandpa used Choctaw, and a lot of uh, their storytelling is similar. Um, there's usually like an interesting element, but it's also like tons of spatial information. Like if you go up the river and you see like, you know, a huge rock and an oak, and then maybe some an event will happen there, and that will help you remember, you know, spatially where you are. So it's kind of interesting. You have a lot of ways to like convey information and, and it doesn't always have to be, you know, a means to an emotional end or not. I guess it can just serve a lot of purposes and you don't always have to follow the same, you know. I like that. I mean, it's like all stories are true or not in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Whether it's telling you how to get from A to Z or just like life is better with friends. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, I love friendship comics. Like, that's where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> What's, it, what's your favorite friendship comic? Uh, I really love One Piece. I call it the comic for children because it's really dumb and it's like literally aimed at uh, young boys. But I mean, it's just about like being there for people and the bottom line. That's interesting. I've, I've reached such a weird point with like boys, like modern boys, like shonen manga, where like I think I like I grew up on the '80s stuff and I've just become such a weird old man that like I've hit that point where I'm like stuff was better. You know, I don't understand you kids with your rock and roll now. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, like, 80s shonen comics were, like, I, I felt like it was riskier. And there's things that, like, like something... Well, there's less of a formula back then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the formula kind of throws me off. And that's, that's something I wonder about in, in people's work is how much you... Because I'm fighting formula all the point, all the point, where it's almost just like, um, you know, if there's a fence, I want to jump over it, even if it, like, takes me away from where I'm going. And... I think that can be a dangerous thing when you're trying to make work because you don't want to do things because they're reactionary and fucks up your own work, but you also don't want to just repeat all the stories you've been told. Um, and it's interesting, you even kind of explained the structures at the beginning of this, like 
I don't really know what 3x structure is. <laughs> like I've heard the concepts, but not to the point where it's probably ingrained in me so much, but I couldn't tell you yeah. what all the. I know the. Um, I know the Star Wars structure. You know, yeah. So like Hero's Journey, those yeah, yeah. are like the traditional like Joseph Campbell, um, but I find that pretty. Like there are definitely stories with that structure, but it's not the only structure. But it's super. Uh, been ingrained in us because of our culture. It's like super, you know, imperialist. So it's like this is our one way we're gonna do this, and any other way is not, you know, uh, not academic enough, not smart enough, you know. So. Um, and I feel like three act structure it was sort of specifically based on film, right? Like the idea that like oh, like a movie is about ninety minutes, and then the first thirty minutes is the first act, you know, sixty minutes is like the second act, and the you know like that thing. It's it's very. Uh, it comes from like a film obsessed culture, and so yeah. you know and that's also, become it goes back to like Greek plays. Right. Like, they yeah. Had, like, cut it up so. Right. Get yeah. Tired and, like, <laughs> right. And so now you know it's like comics, even though it's it could be very broad. It's like we bring these very, you know, we bring our ideas about structure from these other mediums that are like you know that become you know the idea of like what we think a story has to be. Mm-hmm. Right. It's because all of us have heard do. All of us that do comics do very like different structures too, and very different um, like ongoing things where, where chapters hold themselves as they are, and, and your work being like mostly just like a graph novel, and I, I get stuck in lots of monthly comic things. Mm-hmm. So it's all over the map. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wonder if that's the preferred. I wonder if we stick to the preferred structures that we fit our work best, or if we just hit if we all fit the structures sometimes that. That, that we can make a living in. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think ultimately that sort of ends up influencing us whether or not like we like gladly go down that path or we sort of like go like sort of trying to challenge it a little or, you know, but I think like ultimately if it's something that you do make it a professional pursuit mm-hmm. and not like sort of a, uh, it, you know, like a, like a, I don't know, a side, sort of like a hobby basically. Um, I think you sort of inevitably end up thinking that way or at least um, sort of contemplating how you could be doing it right. if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't even mean to sound like a downer of that stuff. I think yeah. I like the idea of a feng shui, kind of like mm-hmm. having to fit like a, you know, like a, um, you know, like, like haikus are more fun than just writing sentences. Like mm-hmm. It's fun to have to fit a structure. I think the thing that is good is that there are many writers who end up, you know, I mean, there are writers who always wanted to to write the way that they watched TV or, you know, or mm-hmm. the way they, they've always read books or comics. And then there are people who want to sort of challenge that. And so when you do have those writers end up uh, making work that's, you know, more mainstream or something, I think you get sort of something more interesting because they're they're kind of coming from a different place and they're sort of trying to do something a little different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where sometimes the audience in comics is kind of trained to, um, like like superhero comics, and, and certainly in the end of comics that I, are such a wide amount of comics and so many, not just the readers, but the creators get trained kind of working through superhero comics. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those essentially made for like toddlers in the 1940s. So, um, <laughs> you know, just the, the kind of cliche of like, if, if your version of the Iliad is someone punching, and it also says he's punching someone. You know, it's it's like you're working off of that as opposed to working off of Shakespeare. So it it, it creates a, a weird yeah. Yeah, I was thinking like um, there's this quote. I'm gonna kind of read it a little bit because I find it really interesting. Um, it talks about this Tuvan word, and it's pronounced e. Okay, and it means the short side of a hill. Okay, and once you know that word, whenever you see a hill, you're gonna know. Oh, that's that's the E, which because you want to avoid the short side of the hill because it's steeper to get it, you know, so it serves a use and it basically has shaped a new part of the world that you didn't necessarily notice, you know. So to me, that's kind of what story does. Um, it kind of gives shape to experiences or emotions that you wouldn't necessarily have maybe noticed. Um, yeah, and so I guess oh, what were I going to ask you? Oh yeah, I was going to ask you. Um, what do you think, um, what do you find yourselves working towards or working against with your, with your storytelling? Um, working towards clarity and working against it just being like therapy on the page. 
<laughs> because like there's just, I feel like there's a place for that, and especially like if you're really a storyteller and stuff for all around. But I don't want to just be like, I feel bad today because this happened and this happened, and that's why this story reads like this. I feel like that's not an intentional storytelling. Sure, yeah. Like anything you do, I think you should do it with purpose. Yeah. Purposeful storytelling, I shouldn't say intentional. It's just uh, a clean cut samurai way of looking at things. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I always feel like, um, like I, 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 I've chastised people. I don't even mean this is a jab at you or anything, yeah, but it was always just like, I feel like in comics it gets talked a lot, a lot, a lot about like clarity as a thing. Where in a lot of other mediums, it's like, it's like um, that's that's kind of the bare minimum. Where in comics, it's like, <laughs> oh, I want this to be clear. Where you know, nobody reads a novel and like, what do you think of the novel? It's like, oh, I understood everything that happened in it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think even in comics, uh, I would almost say clarity in terms of like making sure that I understand what I'm putting on the page. Because like if someone doesn't get an abstract scene, like that's, I guess it's kind of on me, but it's also on them. Right. You know, like you can, I like to work for things a little bit. So it's really just like being good at it, I guess. So is the answer to the question. That's really good. For me, I think something I'm working towards is uh, I feel like a lot of comics and mm, more popular media has an air of hostility to it um, in, a, in the sense that uh, it makes you take sides, you know? A lot of this has to do with like maybe having a main character, you know? Especially in comics, you have a main character, bad guy, whatever, a foil. Um, but I find that kind of super limiting just to have that air. Or put you were on your head to the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I kind of want to get away from having such a hostile narrative foundation kind of step back and have something not even not even peaceful but just less just more blurry. I want to blur edges. I'm not into having such a clear cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about uh, you? what about you? Because I feel like you have the longest running single work here up on stage mm-hmm. I mean, I've definitely be work, been working against uh, what Sun's talking about, like this idea of good guys and bad guys. Um, like I look back at my old work and I can see where all the, uh, the good guys and bad guy lines had been drawn by me. And looking back uh, at myself in those periods of time, I wasn't really the hero of my own story. It just kind of seemed that way. Um, and being able to uh, avoid establishing that, um, I mean, it makes for a different kind of story. I don't know if it makes for necessarily a better one, but um, it gives people a different feeling when they read it. Um, and like one of the things I've been trying to do is go back and question some of the things that I established as um, what was right and good when I uh, when I first did that. Um, like one of the one of the things I had like uh, I had a, a, a comic like eight years ago about this idea that like. Uh, anything like any sort of worthwhile relationship took a while, and this, this idea that like if you if you get really intense really fast with somebody, uh, you're going to get bored of it really fast, and it's going to fail. And uh, it's the slow build that's so important. And I mean, I still agree with that somewhat. Like, I, I don't completely disagree 180 on it, but at the same time, I'm also like. No, no, you can just like hit it off with somebody very intensely and connect with somebody immediately, and that's like completely a possibility. And why would I make that my philosophy that you have to be that way? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of little things like that where I'm, I'm trying to get the characters to question why they believed that, um, you know, in that sense, ask myself why I believe that. Mm-hmm. What about you, Jen? Um, do you have anything you're looking towards? Maybe trying to weed out of the way you tell stories? I think, well, I, I think sort of going off the idea of clarity, um, like David was saying, but um, yeah, I guess clarity to me, um, I think about how, like I think in the past, the way I would try to write things was to add more stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I had sort of a, a problem, um, the way out of it was to just add more content, like mm-hmm. more dialogue and more plot and you know whatever, like more more scenes. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm I I sort of want to 
strip away from that. Um, I think, you know, again, this may be related to my long-windedness, but like, uh, I, I think about, um, I was reading a, like a Truman Capote book, I think it was Music for Chameleons, mm-hmm. that's the one, and I remember like in the, the forward of it, uh, they had said something like, oh, this is like, um, this book, like every sentence is like so beautiful or something like that. I think like whoever was writing the forward for it. And I remember reading it and thinking like, oh my God, it's true. Like, because it was like some, uh, one of his later works. Like at that point he had, he was able to make every sentence um, really beautiful, but also it count, it, it would count. Like it, there were no extraneous uh, sentences. Even if they were descriptive, it was like they, they really mattered on the page and you couldn't take them away and get the same story. So I think, um, clarity to me, uh, like not necessarily in, in sort of black and white in, in theme or intention, but just uh, being able to do what I want to do in, in a very kind of the smoothest, cleanest way without having to pile a lot, a lot of stuff on top to make my point. Yeah, just like yeah. super pre- precise, economical. Right, right. Yeah, economical I think is, is the way to put it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think someone's the opposite of Capote in that sense is James Elroy, who I like a lot, but like American Tabloid is 600 pages longer than he needed to be because he spends right. so much time kind of just like all these amazing terms of phrase mm-hmm. that are often horrible and vulgar, but like they sound good on the page. And it's like he didn't just know when to stop and to say, like, okay, this monologue stop here. <laughs> like my when I first draft. Yeah. <laughs> um. I'll show like just a couple slides, um, just with comics that I think are pretty good at. Oops, how do I make this normal? Let's see. That's not work. You can kind of see it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, this is Mario Odomo's comic, Internet Comics Two, I think, um, and he's. Super um, poetry focused, so just small, these small. Yeah, Mari's from Seattle, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, works at uh, Half Price Books, yeah. yeah. Twice Old Tales. Yeah. <laughs> I just had to visit, it was really cute. They have Twice. a lot of cats. Yeah, they have cats. Yeah, and he just kind of has these like meandering short stories. Um, they just kind of like super, they encapsulate just a sense of, well, I won't tell you what it's about, but they encapsulate a feeling really well. Um, he just has these really short, stark sentences, and yeah, he's really good. Um, then we have this page from Aiden Co- Is it Coke? How do you say it? I, I think it's Coke. Aiden Coke? Uh, Coach. Um, this is, I really love this page um, because you can see, I like the hair straightening part. You can see it's tangled on oh. the first page and then straight. Um, and I like small things like that you can't really do in other mediums, just like abstract things to the point of like, just like bare minimum lines. Um, but she also has kind of like the same feel as Mari, but uh, in a longer form. Just like these small experiences. Um, this is Nijigahara Holograph by Neil Sano. It's like one of my all time favorite comics. Um, and it's super, um, super circular. It follows like four or five characters throughout their lives and it jumps into the future and into the past, and you really have to read it a few times to see like this really <laughs> intricate tap- tapestry of story. Uh, you guys like this comic? <laughs> yeah, I love this comic. This yeah. was, I think it came out in 2014. Yeah. It was like the one where I remember every critic I had was like tell me what they thought about it. Mm-hmm. Because like like we were saying earlier, like the ambiguity is it's both instantly clear, like if you read it easy, it'll make sense. Mm-hmm. But then when you go back to it second, third, or fourth time, you're like, oh, this stuff this connects to this, this connects to that. Yeah. I seriously got hung up on this opening scene where I got the book and the opening scene is just these it feels like um, I don't even know how to describe it. It feels like some kind of weird uh, montage and it was so pretty that I was like I need to think about this more, and I put it down, and six months later, I haven't picked it up yet. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's almost like, it was like food that was too spicy. I was like, this yeah. is too good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rewarding comic. It right? is. Like it's like a very specific thing for a comic to be. Yeah. Uh, it's another page for it. Uh, and then, uh, this one is just from Otomo, uh, 
Toyo Megatari, I think? I can't say right. Um, this is by, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember her name. Keiko, no, what is it? Kalei Moore. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Thank you. Um, it's just about this um, Mongol, like, traditional Mongol family um, in, I don't remember what time period this is, but very far back, and it basically just, it's called A Bright Story, and it follows this bride, and it just is kind of going through her life right now, and so beautiful and intricate, um, and yeah, the artist, the artist's motivation was just to be able to share this, what life was like back, back then, so there's no really, like, there's some cool, like, action scenes and stuff, but it's not really high octane, it's just, like, presenting you with a beautiful life story, and there's not, so far there's not any deeper plot, but, uh, yeah, it's beautiful. This yeah. has to live in the comic, I feel. Huh? It's nice to like visit the comic for a little while. Yeah. Like, yeah. Really how the characters work and the universe and everything. Yeah. Interesting. When you're talking before about goals, I was actually thinking about something that I think about a lot is um, I, I have a hard time getting away from comfort comics. Mm -hmm. I love the idea of like drawing like a character in a room and just like draw their coffee and get yeah. on their bed and you get so into it. And I, I'm so obsessed with comfort that I don't think I could ever like, I would never want to leave a reader with hurt feelings. Oh, really? <laughs> I have to hang out for six hours on page for that, so I don't want to, yeah, I'm always impressed when I read comics and they're like, oh, this is gross and makes me feel bad. Like, this person had to, like, be gross and feel bad for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can do the 10 or 15 minute warning, somehow I can't read that from there. 10. 10. Um, should we do questions or do you guys have other stuff that you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> questions would be cool though. Yeah, anyone's got any questions? There, there's a mic there. <laughs> yeah. My question is uh, for like, the story structure because everything you've said has been really clear, actually, which is nice. Um, uh, I'm actually part of a really big writers group, and within that group, we have a smaller group that's dedicated to support for maladaptive daydreaming, mm -hmm. which is where your imagination, your stories, get so Complicated. Is it? Are you? Are you? Are you talking about that kind of relation to mental illness? It is. We're trying to get it recognized as a mental illness, actually. Yeah. I mean, I think having conversations about. Um, I've always tried to be very public about like I take a lot of medication and I'm in therapy and all these things, and I think it's really good to be able to um, to recognize that that it's okay to work on yourself and. Uh, I don't know, it's difficult because, I mean, in, in doing this sort of thing with your life, like, I struggle so much to, like, push my life back and get focused on the fictional worlds to the point where um, I, 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 I do think there's two very different um, ways to, to go into something. Me and Dave were talking about this recently, the idea of, of actively engaging with escapism, which is, like, you're looking at what you're doing and you're like, how does this actually relate to it? And you're trying to, to think about it in relation to your life. And then there's something where you're trying to push your life away and not deal with it through fiction. I think that's when it gets dangerous. I don't know if that... Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Oh, I was just going to say that I, I'm not sure if this is the same thing, but I've definitely spent time talking to a therapist about this sort of thing where um, a lot of my anxiety comes from... Uh, imagining a situation that's not really happening but is kind of the worst case scenario and uh, you know my therapist was trying to help me frame this as a positive thing um, and you know it does seem to equate very strongly with being a storyteller that uh, when you when you have these thoughts in your head uh, where you just run with them uh, and it becomes something it just like blooms into something uh, it might be something that makes you feel negatively that that sort of paralyzes you from, from the reality around you, but um, being in control of that is a really powerful thing, and that's where a lot of great storytelling comes from. Um, so I don't know if that's entirely the same thing, but, but the idea of having such an active imagination that uh, 
that it, you know, it causes you grief uh, or happiness in uh, the real world, um, you know, that's a gift that can be harnessed, I think. And I think as far as encouragement goes, uh, there's no story that's not worth telling. I guess you could say that all stories are worth telling if you're the double negative. But like, no matter what it is, you know, someone out there is going to buy it, whether it's you know, your best friend or some person 3,000 miles away on the internet. So if you're having, if you were having trouble kind of like either finding the word for the stories or just sitting down and doing them, like someone out there wants to read it. And they want to make that connection, like a lot of people start making sense. fill it, it's not like you're putting the books in a weird space and then having to build a shelf around it, you know. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with structure, but it's also nice to think, like, why is this, what is this structure added to the story rather than what can I add to the structure? Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, uh, my question is kind of about that skeleton idea. Um, I feel like you were talking more about Casting off the structure, um, abandoning the skeleton, which kind of leaves us with jellyfish. And I was wondering, uh, like, how do you make, how do you make uh, salmon and elephant? Like, are there other structures out there that we should be looking for and exploring? Like different shapes that we did, um, different maps to follow. Yeah. Um, well, I went to a lot of research on different storage structures from different um, cultures and places. A uh, cool one I found was like a Nicaraguan storyline structure, which is super circular, and it starts with a through line, kind of like an intro, and then it repeats itself as you go through multiple journeys. Um, and it can be like one journey, it can be five, and it's, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, another one was uh, Kisho Tenkensu, which is a Japanese one. It was making the rounds, a nice essay about that. Um, it's kind of a four act, but instead of any sort of Climax, the third act is just some sort of twist or some abstraction, uh, which is really interesting. And then the fourth thing is um, not necessarily an ending, but it kind of harmonizes the first three. So that's a cool, another construction. Yeah, I think that the, the one that, that I've been sort of applying more recently is just, just like the simple cause and effect idea, which um, I think even like sort of like, a, like Dan Harmon and the South Park guys are all about where, you know, it's a very simple sort of like, you know, if such, something happens, therefore this happens, uh, you know, however, this happens. So, you know, it would just be like, Sloan needs coffee. Uh, therefore, she goes downstairs to the Starbucks. However, she forgot her wallet, you know, and it just goes on from there, uh, where you just kind of follow the cause and effect idea. And, and you end up sort of, creating a story that would be the way you would be telling a story to your friends. But it feels very, uh, there, there's, a, there's a complete idea around it. Um, it seems like a lot of times in story, uh, death is really, is, is most often used as the empathetic like, device to connect you to the story. But 
know, not a lot of people experience yet. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait a while. <laughs> um, what are some other, I guess, um, instead of using debt as like the driving primal motivation, what are some other motivations that you guys like to see in stories that might make something seem different? So instead of just being like, oh, or you'll die, it's like, or you'll be embarrassed or something. There's a um, when when the kind of manga god Osama Tezuka died, um, uh, Hayao Miyazaki wrote a eulogy to him that was like a takedown, where he just basically talked about like you guys just view this guy as a god, but I had to like live dealing with this guy. And he's awesome and everything, but he also like you know he he did so many comics that he his um, his things that he did to uh, emotionally push a story forward were essentially, uh, they, they stopped feeling real after a while, he was saying, and that they, that they became a bag of tricks rather than things that he was resonating from his own life. And I think that that's the thing with, with things like that is it's, it's less about finding things, at least for me, it's less about finding things that are, um, that are, this is an effective way to get the reader interested as much as finding things that, even if it's not directly, but something like the way that these characters are dealing with this death is like something that I'm personally dealing with or personally dealt with. Because I, I think that truth kind of goes through even if you're not directly one-to-one doing it. I think a lot of stuff boils down to just desire, especially Western storytelling. It's like a character wants something and somewhere something's stopping them. You know, that's the main you know, focus of that. Uh, I like when it's not about that um, and you can kind of shatter that by you know, having multiple characters, which Nidgar Holograph is a really good example of that. Um, or just, you know, laying out experiences. Um, I find that really interesting. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, thanks. That was scary.